iAsset dives into scale monetization and brand development in the age of AI to help humans break free. Each episode features captivating stories from entrepreneurs, executives, and creative professionals who have mastered the art of turning their skills into valuable assets. Enjoy this episode. Welcome to iAsset. I'm your host, Maria Popova, and my guest today is Rob Stolte. Uh, Rob Stolte is a visual artist. Uh, he's a graphic designer and creative entrepreneur, an award-winning one, I must say, as well. He is um, the graduate of the Utrecht School of the Arts, and together with his classmates, they have started a design agency, uh, Autobahn. What really impresses me about uh, the work that Rob does is that he has quite an expansive geography. You know, he, uh, his work has reached countries such as China, Spain, uh, Belgium, Netherlands, where we are now. Uh, and with his workshops and other projects, he has been all the way to Australia. His client list includes uh, companies such as Sony PlayStation, Art Directors Club in the Netherlands, lots of really yeah, impressive organizations, but also agencies. Uh, he is passionate about typography, which we are going to dive into today. And uh, he has also published uh, quite a few books. He is uh, lecturing at the William de Koning Academy and also the Utrecht School of the Arts. So welcome, Rob. Well, thank you, Maria. Thank you for uh, for inviting me. I have to make a slight correction. I'm, yes. I'm not actually currently in a lectureship at the mm -hmm. Willem de Koning or Utrecht of the Arts School of the Arts, mm -hmm. uh, but we have uh, we have taught some topography classes there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I'm really uh, excited to speak about that. And first of all, I would like to know a little bit uh, about your uh, upbringing. What mm. was the kind of environment and the family you grew up in? Ah, yeah. Well, both of my parents uh, used to work for the Amsterdam Police Force for 45 years. They are now retired, both. So yeah, my upbringing was, uh, I, I come from a, from a small village uh, near Amsterdam, Uithoorn. Yeah, I think my upbringing was quite nice. My parents were, were always there. Although my parents were always involved in everything, I did have some struggles when I was growing up with reading and writing. Uh, in, in my um, elementary school, I had some, uh, some teachers who, well, did not really reach me. And I was maybe a difficult kid uh, back then. So I was not really paying attention at school. I was more out playing skateboarding, uh, stuff like that. So at that time in my life, uh, I think letters were like my worst enemies. I, I never read any books, maybe some comic books at, at most. But later on in life, uh, when I went to graphic school and uh, eventually art school, I really found my love for letters there. But it's been a struggle to get there. Mm, I can imagine. And um, what were your hopes and expectations growing up? The first thing that I remember uh, me wanting to be when I grow up was uh, an archaeologist. In elementary school, you get your final exam and then they give you sort of like a suggestion what follow-up education you can do. Mm -hmm. And I needed to be like high in education uh, to go to university. But they did not see me do that. So I got a low education proposition or estimate. So yeah, that dream went out the window 
pretty quick and uh, I was really devastated about that. So I went to uh, middle school and there I met someone, uh, Jan Ohan, who's actually a, a really good typographer as well. And he had a brother who went to um, graphic school in Amsterdam. And I was really into drawing. Uh, I, I'd rather draw than, than write something down. So I decided, well, maybe this school can bring me something because I imagined me drawing all the time in, in graphic school. So I went with Jano to the graphic, uh, Grafisch Lyceum, graphic mm -hmm. school in, uh, in Amsterdam. Yeah, from, from there on, I, I really found a, a love for letters. Uh, did not really know why I liked letters because I hate reading them, I hate writing them. But when I regard them as images, something magical ap uh, appears to me. And then it, it became sort of like a, uh, a really cool tool for me to express myself. So back then, I really look, look to the works of uh, David Carson, for instance, Neville Brody, which were like these 80s, 90s topographers of surfer magazines and stuff like that. So yeah, I think my work was really uh, related to those typographers. Well, I graduated uh, graphic school and then I was already starting with some friends to start up my own studio, Asses and Dertig. Uh, it doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> uh, but whilst doing that and, and setting up this business, I, I found that I was not really ready yet to start working. I wanted to further explore my own thinking and, and my own uh, visual form. So I decided to go to Utrecht, to the uh, University of the Arts or Academy of the Arts in Utrecht. And at first I was not accepted. So I did my acceptance and they said, well, you're not good enough. So I was really bummed out because I really wanted to go. And then a friend of mine, a classmate who also applied at Utrecht uh, University of the Arts, he was accepted, but he went to Willem de Koning. So I called the Academy of the Arts and I said, um, well, I know you have a spot vacant because a friend of mine went to the other art academy. Now you can hire me. And they did. So then I could start at the HKU, which was really nice. And this is really the place where I first experienced freedom in education. It was not like you have to do this, but it's more like explore yourself and who are you as a person in the world and what are your thoughts on things. So that really gave me like uh, the wind under my wings, or so to say, and, mm -hmm. and I flew and it was a really wonderful time. Yeah. Oh, that's a great story. Thank you for sharing that. And I'm just thinking like how many uh, students uh, who apply to study right now would would do what you did and just call <laughs> them and pretty much ask for yeah. ask for it, right? Yeah. Um, cool. I was also wondering what were the first paid jobs or projects that you did in the beginning? Ah, yeah. Maarten Dullemeyer, my, my partner at Autobahn, we and some friends already started uh, working for clients while we were in Art Academy. So the start of Autobahn was actually us wanted to be a band. So okay. we, um, we were four, four or five classmates. I was making beats on the computer, another one was playing the guitar, uh, a third one played the piano, a fourth one thought he could sing. So we all came together uh, at Maarten's place for, for a jam session one time. And uh, we started jamming and we were rubbish. We were aharmonic, we were not listening to each other. It was like complete other rubbish. 
So after an hour, we said, okay, let's just watch a movie. And, and we started watching the movie The Big Lebowski by the Coen brothers. Okay. And in this movie, uh, you have Jeff Bridges, the main character, the dude, going uh, crate digging at Mods, and he pulls out this record sleeve and it says, Autobahn, Nagelbet. <laughs> and we were like, those guys, they look like us. So we already had like a, a band name before we ever became a band. In Art Academy, we were pretty soon known as, oh, those are the guys from Autobahn, go ask the guys from Autobahn. So we're actually a design studio, uh, which wanted to be a band, but never became a band, but a design studio. Mm. So when we were in art school, we started collaborating. The band that never was a band started collaborating on, on projects. And that slowly grew into a sort of a formation of really starting an, an agency or a studio. So the first projects we did was for Tivoli, Vredeburg, and uh, the Echo, both um, uh, clubs or, or venues in, in Utrecht, and which was really cool because we were underpaid, of course. Those institutions don't have a lot of money, but we were granted a lot of freedom. The benefit of that was that we our work was visible in throughout the city. So each time we did a new poster or new flyers, it was visible in the city. And we wanted to play with the, uh, the medium as well. So not just create a poster, but a poster that reacts to its surroundings or create a flyer, which is also a sticker. So uh, the whole city was sticker bombed. And that got some attention of, of potential new clients. But what we also did was a, uh, a poster campaign. So we were already graduated, but we were given access to the uh, silkscreen print studio at, at the academy. And um, we silkscreened like uh, A1 size posters with a big exclamation mark on it. And only a URL at the bottom, www.wewanttowork.nl, which showcased our portfolio. And we went uh, as a guerrilla marketing strategy. Uh, we went to different potential clients' offices, uh, went in unannounced, said nothing, put up these posters and left. We got a lot of angry emails, uh, but there was one guy, Ronald Klamer, from uh, Toneel Speelt. I think it was, I think it was his name, and he said, "Ooh, I really like what you're doing. I have a play that I'm working on. Would you like to do the marketing and and the designs and the posters and everything else?" So, we got one client out of it, but it was really sort of like a wake-up call for us that we would like to work with people who have the same mentality as us. Yeah. Because then you have like a real connection and that stuck with us throughout the, the almost 20 years that we have uh, Autobahn now. And we always say we work with people rather than brands because with people you can, you can have a, a real connection and people not always stay at one place. They, they travel throughout their working life. So each time... Uh, when you have a good connection, there's a possibility that this person will bring you in at their current job. Um, so you have a new client, then he moves or she moves to another client and says, oh, I know this amazing designers. Let's bring them in. So your portfolio can grow uh, like that as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I really like what you said right there in terms of it being a wake-up call because I also think it probably served as a confirmation that, hey, this non-standard way of marketing also works. Yeah, It grabs attention. Yes, it's going to piss a few people off, uh, but it also did lend you some business. Yeah. 
And and it's always weird where new business comes from, right? It's ninety percent luck, ten percent skill, I think, because you can be the best designer or the 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 best photographer or whatever. It's always like people have uh, would have to uh, the gun factor. I don't know the 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 proper English word. The guts? No. No, it's no. like um, mm. I'm I'm. I want you to have it. I w- I'm I'm giving you this assignment mm. because I like you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I want to work with you rather than someone else yeah. because I yeah. like what you're doing mm-hmm. and I uh, we we are connected and so yeah if you don't have that it's it's yeah either really hard work to convince people that you're really good and 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 they have to like you and and work with you on on that base but on the other hand where you have a real good connection then some magical things can can happen and i think we're always looking for that sweet spot with mm-hmm. people so we when we have a client and at first it's like uh, oh, it's interesting let's see where this uh, cooperation brings us and it turns out to be uh, oh you're an asshole or you're a dick or uh, we don't understand each other then we say goodbye and then we try to find someone that we do connect with mm, yeah and so how do you balance uh you know the commercial with the non-commercial projects so to say it's always difficult uh, because we do a lot of experimentation in our work and and a lot of manual labor which does not always really um, how do you say that it's it's difficult to to at forehand say how much time it will take for uh, this handiwork to be finished or this experiment we can do that in eight hours and it turns out to be two days but what we try to do is always get our clients involved and say okay we would like to do some experimentation and of course we'll take some hours for for our part but we also want you to be involved in mm-hmm. this so it, it is a cooperation and then well clients say yeah of course we need some some more money for this or we need some more time for that or uh, what kind of materials do you want to use so yeah i think in in the collaboration and the incorporation of the client within the work itself we can manage to do a lot of crazy things yeah okay interesting um I also know that uh, you and your classmate are now, you are working together still. Yeah. So the other people kind of dropped out from this uh, operation. So how do you guys, you know, manage, you know, the friendship and the the business, so to say? I think that's really interesting because Marta and I, we have been working for about 15 years every day next to each other, uh, desk on desk. Hey, Marta, I did something. Uh, have a look at it. Uh, no, I'm busy, but maybe later. And it's always finding this balance between uh, how we work together because Marta and I are both at the opposite of the specter when it comes to people. Where Marta is very analytical and very exact, I am very emotional and I'm, I'm freewheeling through everything. But I think because, because we are so different from each other, we cover the whole spectrum. So we got a lot of compliments from our clients. Like, for instance, we did a proposal. We just spoke with a client for like um, half an hour. Uh, We got a briefing and we went back, started sketching, discussing, presented the first ideas. And the client said, wow, this is amazing. It's it's almost like you've been able to look at my notebooks. Um, So I think covering the whole spectrum is is 
giving our work some sort of I don't know not not in in depth but um, substance yeah mm. it's solid I think mm. okay yeah and speaking of some of the projects that you've done what would you consider to be like one of the highlights perhaps of your oh. career so far I know it's difficult <laughs> yeah there have been some amazing things like not regarding to to the work I'll come to that mm -hmm. uh, but in 2012, which was an amazing year, in 2011, my son Kalle uh, was born in December. Right about that time, we got an invitation to go to uh, Australia, to Aji Ideas with uh, Ken Kato. And um, that was amazing. So we, we've brought Kalle with us. He was like five months old when we went to uh, Australia. And uh, Martin and I did a lecture for uh, two and a half thousand people in, in this big venue. And Marta, while Marta was doing the lecture, I was sitting underneath this big screen and I had uh, five t-shirts on top of each other. And each t-shirt had a, a speaker note for, for Marta when he lost his text. So it was like this really awkward performance. <laughs> but uh, at, at one time I, I took off my jacket, walked up to Marta and said, oh, you, you have to read it. Oh, yeah, what? Uh. All right, so that he presented it. And I took off this shirt and I went to the audience and I was like, what do I do with the shirt? So I asked someone in the, in the audience, would you like a t-shirt? They were like, uh, yeah, thanks. So, and each time I took off more t-shirts, uh, the audience gets more wilder and at the last t-shirt I was running through the venue and throwing it on the on the top balcony and which was really cool and um, yeah those kind of moments uh, stick with you for the rest of your life especially with my wife and and my son Kalle being there as well mm -hmm. yeah so those things are amazing uh, but I think um, work-wise for me, one of the highlights is uh, A is for Ox, uh, a book that I've created uh, together with uh, children's book writer Bette Vestra and uh, Egyptologist uh, Ben Haring about the historical origin of the Latin alphabet. So, because that was for me sort of like overcoming my fear of letters. The book explains where our letters come from. For, for me, not knowing then, uh, this was sort of like a revelation. So our letters actually come from images found in the Sinai Desert uh, some 4,000 years ago. And when you look at uh, the letter A, for, for instance, uh, the letter A used to be an image of an ox's head. And when you look at the letter A and you turn it upside down, you still see the horns and, and the head of the ox uh, in its present form. And for me, that was like, this is, this is amazing because this is what I've been doing all my life, turning letters into images. So I, they become approachable for me or, or I can do stuff with it. So I was creating this, uh, so I was researching this and, and I, I thought, well, now I can finally tell Kalle, my, my son, he, he was four back then and he, he was starting to get interested in writing himself. So I saw him writing and um, I noticed the way he, because when you start writing, your, your motor skills aren't that developed. So your letters are crooked and lines are crooked and uh, wavy. So I noticed him drawing, for instance, a Y or an E or an M, which re reminded me of the earliest, earliest forms of our alphabet, the proto-sinaitical form. And I thought, oh, this would be so nice for me doing this research and 
he is into lettering or starting to, to write uh, now. I wanted to show him or tell him what I do as a designer and what's, what drives me by making a children's book about the origin of the Latin alphabet. Um, so I just wanted to interject. Uh, the first time we uh, had a conversation, uh, I also really connected with what you said about the typography with the meaning of letters. And this is something that I was studying as a linguist. Yeah. I always say that I have this unemployable degree, but I'm also fascinated with the stuff that a lot of people don't know. And it's actually should be taught in schools as well. Like where does our language come from? Mm -hmm. And that the language, the way we speak it and the way we write it is also kind of not the same thing. True. And that the appearance of the written language in itself is kind of magic as well. Mm -hmm. And it has transformed over the years because of the technology. Yeah. Right? So it, it has been such a labor-intensive process creating books back in the day. And look where we are now with all the technology where everybody can pretty much create an ebook on their own just from their computer. True. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, I think in regards to language, um, I, I find language very interesting. Um, I do, I'm doing a lot of research into language right now, uh, reading a lot of Willem Flusser, for instance, who has this amazing book. I think it's called uh, the, uh, the End of Writing. But while I was busy working on A is for Ox, the, the children's book, and, and I was in this process, process of learning where these letters come from. Uh, so the A comes from an image of an ox, the B comes from an image of a house, the C comes from an image of a, a throwing stick or sort of like a boomerang. I was thinking, hmm, this, this story is interesting, and now I'm making a children's book for, for people aged 9 to 99, so it's in the form of a children's book, but it's for everybody. Wouldn't it be great to tell this story, but in a different way to different people as well? So um, I was thinking, now that we know where these letters come from, we also know how they smell. Because an A smells of an ox, a B smells of a house, a C smells of a, of a boomerang. So I thought, well, this might be interesting using letters in a different way, but creating this language that is without letters. See if we can see if I could create something with that. So I decided to, to call one of, I think, the world's best perfumers, uh, Mark Buxton. And... Um, I asked him, um, we don't know each other, but I have this amazing idea. What do you think of it? Are you open for, for a collaboration? And he was like, oh, wow, this is, this is amazing. Uh, this is where every niche perfumer in the world is, is looking for a concept like this. So he said, yeah, of course, let's do this. So I, I, I created three uh, perfumes with him um, based on the, the, the idea of... Uh, an ox, a house, and and a boomerang. Yeah, so I agree with you on what you said about having struggles in school with letters and reading. And I feel that why is there such a big trend right now that, you know, for example, some people just don't read at all is because the, the way the information is presented at schools or in the educational system doesn't align with how they learn. So yeah. it's not individualized enough. Yeah, that's true. And and when I was working on, on the perfume series, I, it, it also caught my attention that what I was doing was sort of creating synesthesia. Like you, you smell letters, which is weird, of course. But I think 
communication in general should be more synesthetical, more inclusive, because then maybe you can choose which sense you would like to communicate with or something comes your way and you say, well, I'll just use my hearing or my taste or my all different senses. And that is something that I'm really looking into right now in, in my personal work and which, of course, uh, spreads to client work as well. But since I've been working on the perfume series, uh, which is unfortunately not available, it's sort of like a, an art project right now. But if there's an opportunity to, to make it more uh, commercial, um, I'm, I'm open to that, but it hasn't yet come that way so now in my personal work I'm, I'm looking at how people learn in regards to communication and letters um, so I find your your comment really interesting um, because I, in, in my latest series of works I call it um, uh, what's the name again um, I'll, I'll, come, I'll come to that. Um, but it's sort of like, a, a, I, I call it a pre-literate playground. Okay. So I go back to my time as, as a child before I was able to write and, and read. Uh, but I was in kindergarten. And in kindergarten, you have like all these building blocks and stuff like that. So I did some research who invented kindergarten or, or the block set and it was Friedrich Froebel. Uh, he was this German, well, not philosopher, but but I don't know mm, what's... Uh, okay, pediatrician, perhaps? Pediatrician, yeah, yeah. yeah thanks, mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. And he came up with the idea of a kindergarten. Mm -hmm. um, but he said, I don't, uh, I don't want children before the age of six to be introduced to letters. So that's why in, in third grade, now you are, in, in, in the Netherlands, you are introduced into reading and writing, and before there's no letters. Mm -hmm. Just feeling and, and, and building blocks and stuff like that. So in my latest work, I'm trying to discover what if Friedrich Froebel has introduced letters in, in kindergarten before uh, third grade by just using building blocks, colors and, and forms and, and see how we can create these letter forms that, that come to us in a very simple grid. Um, so that's something I'm, I'm I'm working on right now. How how do you learn to uh, to handle letters and, and materials, and you can create stuff yourself without even maybe being aware that you're learning or doing things. My my mom always used to say uh, when I'm doing what I thought was like a, a, a thoughtless pastime, mm -hmm. like doodling or just I don't know playing with cars without any intention. She always said. Um, Oh, you're so so lovely at Fröbele, uh, sort of like a verb of, of uh, Friedrich Fröbel's ideas. And I always thought it was like a, a thoughtless pastime, but it, it is actually sensible and, and really useful to, uh, to play in that way. So yeah, I'm, I'm really looking into that right now. Uh, and and in, I think uh, at the beginning of next year, I have a first exhibition of my works in uh, Dusseldorf in a gallery. So really looking forward to that uh, and finishing up all these works. <laughs> mm, I see. Yeah. So anything else on your radar? Anything else on my radar? Or something um, you're excited about? Yeah, well, we are currently um, finishing up uh, uh, signing a contract because we're uh, renting out a store here in Rotterdam and we are planning on creating a project space in there 
so we are going to work there. It's it's an office space, but we also would like to create some sort of a gallery. We always had the idea of creating a gallery while we were uh, while we had a studio in Utrecht, uh, but it never really really happened. It was it was a lovely space, but at the wrong place. So now we have this amazing space uh, where, where I would like to create a gallery. And the idea that we have right now is try to figure out what lives uh, and maybe problems some of our clients have and try to solve some of those problems without there being like a real proper briefing or anything and just see what happens. So we talked to one of our clients, uh, TNO. They were really interested in just handing us some of the things they're working on. We are involved with TNO um, in, in all sorts of communication uh, surrounding sustainable energy uh, at the North Sea or uh, CO2 storage uh, in land, which is really technical stuff. So they have a challenge of how can we convey the uh, all the information to our clients without being dry or really like uh, yeah, formal and boring. Yeah. <laughs> um, so they were really interested to see what happens when when they give us some of these uh, these informations, and we hand them over to maybe uh, another visual artist, and and the three of us work on that, and we present it in our gallery, and then I don't know, we invite a bunch of people and see what happens, and maybe we can can change the way TNO is communicating by these sort of interventions. So that is something that I really look forward to uh, on, on exploring a little bit more. And just a couple of weeks ago, we got a really nice call from uh, California, from a, a musician there. And he just called us up and he said, you're the guys from Autobahn. I want to work with you. I want a new identity, a new website. I want you to produce all my, or, or create all my uh, LP artwork. Oh yeah, and I want to create a book of the photographs that I've made. Uh, and I need everything done by uh, September. So we're like, oh, wow, amazing. So you want to work with us? There's no pitch or anything, not that we do a lot of pitches, but it was really lovely to, to hear someone so decisively uh, say, I want to work with you guys. So now we're doing all these experiments with creating manual topography and making them react to sound waves and maybe touching a little bit of AI some, somewhere or here and now. But yeah, it's, it's really interesting to see where this, uh, this all is going. So uh, right now we're working on the topography. Yeah, it, it, I think it's going to be amazing. So I'm really looking forward to the end of the summer <laughs> when this is all finished and, and we can share it with, uh, with a wider audience. Yeah. Yeah, sounds exciting. Yeah. Also, I'm assuming that before you got to where you are in your career, you've gone through quite some adversity. So what was, would you say, like maybe the lowest point in your career? The lowest point in my yeah. career? Um, or the biggest well, there challenge, were, yeah. yeah, well, there were several. Mm -hmm. I think one of the most recent was in 2000, 2019. Looking back, I don't know exactly what happened, but um, our income drastically went down. So we had this big studio in, in Utrecht. Uh, I think it was uh, 120 square meters for just the two of us, which weighed a lot on our shoulders because we have to pay each month and the rent was really high. But 
all of a sudden, I think it was September of 2019, we had literally no money uh, in the bank. So we had to go to to the to the to the, the rental guys or how do you say that the the, the guys who landlord. rent landlord yeah. landlord yeah mm-hmm. exactly uh, and say we can't pay anymore so we need to find a solution and we're leaving uh, Utrecht. Maarten uh, lived in Rotterdam. I lived in uh, or live in Haarlem. Um, so Utrecht was like this nonsensical place to be because we both need to travel to be at a place. So. Yeah, that was really difficult because we've been there for like 15 years. Uh, we had a good network there, but all of a sudden we were confronted of not being able to rent out this studio space anymore. So I decided to go back to Harlem. Marta uh, was renting out uh, a desk in, in Rotterdam. And while we were working together side by side for 15 years, now we were working apart all of a sudden. This meant to find a whole new dynamic between the both of us. How are we collaborating? Are we even collaborating, uh, working apart? And that was a really stressful time because there were not that many projects. Uh, We're not sitting next to each other anymore, uh, not knowing what the other would do or are you able to work? Or So that was kind of a really interesting time. But then Corona happened uh, in March and yeah, we were forced, everybody was forced to work from home. So yeah. everybody was in this same space or phase where uh, all these things are new. So I think in the end, it made us stronger surviving that because we each now pretty much have our own clients. Uh, so Mart is working on his, I'm working on mine. We do collaborate. So when we're in the sketching phase, we send out each other these sketches, we react uh, to each other. But on a personal level, for me, it felt liberating somewhere as well. Because when we were working together, I was always seeking confirmation from mm. my partner. Yeah. And now there was no one sitting next to me telling me what to do or mm-hmm. giving advice or so it felt liberating and that also encouraged me to do more my own projects like the, the playground thing that I'm working on right now but also for clients I think uh, in the end we both grew uh, individually but that made us grew as a team as well only in in a different way. So now we're still working on separate locations. Uh, Now this store in in Rotterdam doing new things and me working in Harlem, Mm -hmm. but still we're working on on client work and um, yeah, it's it's never been better. So I think after that period of, and like I said, I don't know why this happened. It's not like 10 clients left in 2019. So it was obvious that we needed to do something new, but it, I don't know, it, it, it was just somehow forced upon us, not knowing what happened. Mm-hmm. And now we're thriving. We have a lot of cool projects and um, doing new things, exploring not only the design part, but more the strategical and the consultation part as well. And during Corona, I developed this mentality of saying, just ask me a question and I will give you a creative answer. So that's what I'm propagating to our clients right now. 
And that's really interesting because now we were invited to be part of um, creating a festival for one of our clients, which is not just doing the design and the marketing and stuff like that, but scouting locations, uh, all these other things uh, that I know nothing about. But I'll just go into my network, see who's uh, who's a specialist and then draw them in and I will just oversee the whole creative process, which is, I think is really interesting position to be in, uh, whether it's for the city council of Amsterdam or for uh, a consultancy agency or a Baroque ensemble, it doesn't really matter. Um, just ask us questions and we'll give you creative answers. Mm-hmm. And so the way uh, you speak about that makes me also realize that you are not a kind of stereotypical type of leader. So you lead people, there's people working for you in different ways. So how do you approach that? Yeah, uh, interesting question, because while we were in Utrecht, um, we had this big studio space, uh, 100 square meters. And what I did there was I just had some vacant desks and I said to people who are like uh, motion graphic designers or photographers or creative coders, You can sit at this desk for free. You can work here for free. Uh, But when we collaborate, I want a discount on your hourly rate, Uh, which was fine because they don't have any uh, steady costs uh, towards us. But only when we work together, then I get some money from you. And that worked really nice. Uh, We also had a period where we had some employees, but I did not like that because you need to find uh, assignments that are suitable for that type of designers. And I don't believe that. I, I, I really rather work from uh, a collective. So we have a lot of freelance designers, uh, motion graphic designers, uh, but also uh, event planners, like this whole big collective of people surrounding Autobahn. So when we get asked different questions, I'll just draw in people. For Maarten and me, it's more taking the lead and setting out like the perimeters This is the assignment. This is the way we want it to be. Uh, This is the creative direction that we foresee. This is the strategy that we think of. And then together with the team, we create all these different kind of uh, outcomes. So each assignment has its own team. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the best way to work because you cannot always give the same answer to different questions. Is there anything else that we haven't covered or I haven't asked that you really want to share? (laughs) Wow, that's a big question. It's sort of like after you give a lecture, um, they always ask you, do you have any advice for the audience? (laughs) Yeah. Well, speaking of advice, like imagine the people who are watching and listening this is somebody who is looking to start a creative career. They're like, or they're stuck in their current career. So they're looking to find new ways to, to do things. Yeah. Um, and they would really want to be where you are one day. So what would be your advice for them? The best advice I can give is try to find your purpose in life, which is, when I say it, it's it's so broad and so container notion. Uh, but I do mean it because it took me like 40 years to figure out what I wanted to do in life. And I think each seven years, there's this cycle of one reinventing oneself. Um, at least that, that happened to me. So uh, when I started at the, at the Art Academy, this was a revelation for me. It changed me. Then 
two years after I graduated, one of my uh, teachers died, uh, Michel Scherrer, he gave uh, semiotics. And I had all these questions that I wanted to ask him uh, because suddenly I realized Oh, this is something really important. I, I never understood what he was trying to teach me while I was in the art academy. And two years after I graduated, I, I somehow got it. Uh, and then I had all these questions and he, he passed away. So I needed to do all this research myself. So that was a new reinvention of myself as well. So I think maybe the advice will be try to recognize these pivotal points in, in, in your life when you have new energy or want to pursue new things or things happen to you, stand still, feel what this is doing to you and try to grasp the energy and, and move forward on that. Because I think that are typical moments in life where you come close to yourself and you're able to reinvent yourself again and maybe take a different direction or a mm. different approach to things. Yeah, so it sounds like yeah, listening to your intuition, to your gut, yeah. kind of going with that yeah. is, is part of, you know, being yeah, on the I right think track. So. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. So thank you so much, Rob. Yeah, you're welcome. Uh, where can people find you online? Well, I th we have a website. Uh, it's www.autobahn.nl. Um, we also have Instagram, Autobahn Studio. Uh, but it's not that active. But you can there's there's a lot of things that you can check out. So those are mainly the two things that you can find us online. Mm -hmm. Okay, perfect. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to iAsset. We hope you gained some valuable insights into the world of skill monetization and brand development. Leave us a question or comment through the links in the bio. And don't forget to subscribe and review this show on your favorite podcast platform. Until next time on iAsset.